Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 121st episode of the You Thought Sports Podcast. I'm here with the normal crew. I'm here with Bart. I'm here with Wyatt. I'm here with Aiden. And I'm here with Jared. And we're going to get started, as we always do, with some news we missed. Um, and the first big news we missed is that the MLB lockout ended, and opening day will now be April 7th. That crisis was somehow averted, and some of the key provisions um, in the deal include they're now going to be uh, designated hitters in the National League. The uh, there's going to be a 12-team playoff up from 10 teams. There's going to be no more tiebreaker games um, anymore like there used to be. So it used to be if there were two teams at the end of the season, they would play a game. Now they're just implementing things like other sports do where there's a system for breaking ties. Mm-hmm. Um, there's increased minimum salaries. Uh, the minimum salary this year in the MLB will be $700,000, and it'll increase $20,000 per year until the deal expires. There's an increased luxury tax, a draft lottery, an agreement to decide on the structure of an international draft by July 25th, um, <laughs> and doubleheaders will return to being nine innings for both games. Wow. So, does anybody have any thoughts? No. Not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Get well, that back. Happy, I'm happy baseball will be back. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yes. We all, I think we all are. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> all of us, definitely. Um, in NFL news, there's been some big moves. Mitch Trubisky to the Steelers. He's going to be their starting quarterback, it looks like. Uh, Amari Cooper traded from the Cowboys to the Browns. No, but most importantly, Tom Brady decided that two months was too long away from the game of football, and he will be returning to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next year um, <laughs> after falsely announcing his retirement right after the Super Bowl. So. Yeah. I saw, I saw this. Uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Like memes that are like, it's e- it's actually easier to get hit by a 300-pound lineman than stay at home with young kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're going to round it off the news we missed with some basketball news. First, um, on a positive note, Greg Popovich is now the all-time winningest coach in NBA history. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, very deserving of it, I think. Mm-hmm. And in less good news, something a story that has kind of flown under the radar for a while, but the Phoenix Mercury's Brittany Griner has been imprisoned in Russia for the past few weeks. And, like, it wasn't even a news story until she'd already been there for two weeks. So in the whole sort of, like, geopolitical nightmare that is Russia right now, like, there's just another element that, like, one of the best basketball players in the country is currently imprisoned there. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. But. Yeah, so, I don't know. Anyway, we're going to jump into a little more fun basketball news, though. Uh, we are leading into the greatest sports weekend of the year, uh, the first weekend of March Madness, um, as both the NCAA tournaments, men's and women's, will kick off, which gives us a lot of chances to, you know, look like bracketology, bracketology geniuses. Uh, we're going to start off our fill-in-the-blank segment, uh, where we'll be given a sentence, and we have to fill-in-the-blank in there with our answer about something March Madness-related, with an easy question. So why we'll start with you. I think the team most likely to win the men's tournament will be blank. Duke. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pick a team of destiny here. What's a better way to redeem Coach K's home last loss at home uh, by just winning the entire tournament, you know? And I, I think <laughs> we, we've been or we've tried to at least pick teams of destinies before in the past. And I'm going to go for it in the men's tournament. Duke, big farewell tour. You know, load up the fireworks, get the confetti ready. Coach K goes out with a bang. He retires. And then, like, in Tom Brady fashion, he unretires in two months. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. John Shire exactly. or whatever. forced back <laughs> to the big assistant. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Duke's a good pick. I, I strongly consider that as well. But I think Coach Kale failed there like he did in his last game in the ACC tournament. And I'm going to go with Arizona. I don't think I'm going going too much out on a limb here, but they're one of only two teams in the country that are top 15 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Gonzaga is the other one. Um, and I think Arizona does it against much better competition. I think there are a lot of things that make them a better team than Gonzaga here. Uh, again, I think their competition is less impressive. They've made deep runs in the past, um, but they've always sort of come up short last year in the national championship game especially, but when they made those deep runs, they've been just absolutely dominant throughout the regular season, and they haven't really been that this year. Um, they've lost to a pretty good top 25 St. Mary's team, a really good top 10 Duke team, why a reference, but in an okay but unranked Alabama team. So the fact that they didn't just like absolutely steamroll their way through the regular season like they have when they've made deep runs in the tournament makes you think it's not going to be Gonzaga, and that leads me to Arizona, who's been super hot recently. Like I mentioned, um, really top in uh, offense and defensive efficiency. Um, they've won 14 of the last 15. They're only lost in a fluky one to Colorado, um, who they've since beaten. And they won the Pac-12 championship over UCLA this past weekend. So I think they're a pretty good pick to win it all. And all their best players have incredible names. Benedict Mathurian, Azulis Kabilis, and Christian Coloco. I don't know. I, you can't pick against that. No, I, I love that being a rat part of the rationale. Exactly. Honestly, that's like the sort of stuff that you should be thinking about on a March Madness bracket, to be honest. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, we'll go with Arizona to win it all. And we'll move from the men's tournament to the women's tournament with the team most likely to win the women's tournament will be, fill in the blank, and I'm getting us started here. Um, I'm going to go with the Stanford Cardinal. Um, another one that might not be the most obvious choice, but a pretty obvious choice. Um, I think it comes down to them in South Carolina. But South Carolina recently showed they were very beatable. They lost the SEC championship to Kentucky, whereas Stanford uh, destroyed their competition in the Pac-12 tournament, winning the championship by 25 over Utah, and with their closest one in the whole tournament being won by 13 over Oregon State. South Carolina's biggest strength is undoubtedly their defense. They have the best defense in women's college basketball as measured by field goal percentage against. But their offense, it's lacking. They're not even in the top 50 in points per game. Uh, whereas Stanford is 28th in points per game. Um, and it's not like defense, Stanford's defense is bad either. They're not far behind South Carolina in 11th. So I think Stanford's offensive superiority combined with their defensive competency will give them the advantage over South Carolina. Bart, what do you think? Well, I'm going to be contrarian because I do like South Carolina the most here. Um, I also wanted to shout out North Carolina State. They've been really good. I think they're a valid pick as well, but... Uh, here's my reasoning for South Carolina. Mm -hmm. They are 29-2. and two. They've been number one <laughs> in the country all season long. Uh, they hadn't lost since December until that loss to Kentucky that you mentioned, but both of their losses this year were on last-second shots, so they actually, in a sense, came very close to being undefeated. Uh, they were fourth in the country in point differential and first amongst the number one seeds, uh, and they have what a lot of people are saying is going to be the player of the year in Aaliyah Boston. She's on a crazy SEC record 24-game streak of double doubles, <laughs> them very far in the tournament. It seems like just all on her own. And last year they lost to your team Stanford by one point in the semis. So I think I think that has rubbed them the wrong way. I think they're going to come in with a, a chip on their shoulder. They're going to be looking for blood this year. Uh, you can't quantify that kind of thing, obviously. But I'm, I'm saying I think that that matters. I think that's going to be important. I like South Carolina here with the uh, the, the good old chalk pick. 
<laughs> it's a good vibe stick too, I feel like. Uh, but uh, we're going to move on uh, to our next film of blank, which is the highest seed to lose in the men's first round will be Aiden. Who is it going to be? Uh, I'm going with three, number three, Wisconsin, three-seeded Wisconsin. They were on a bit of a roll until like a week ago. Uh, they were coming off an upset win against Purdue. Then they lost to lowly Nebraska, you know, at the a team at the bottom of the Big Ten. They lost their star sophomore guard, Big Ten player of the year, Johnny Davis, to an ankle sprain in that game in the second half. Um, he was back for the Big Ten tournament, uh, but looked bad. He shot three from 19 from the field. Um, they lost their first game. So they've lost two in a row. And Colgate, who they're playing, is hot. They started 4-10 and ten this year, and then they've um, have won 15 in a row. They've won 19 of their last 20. Uh, last year, they gave Arkansas a run for their money. Colgate was also their last year. They, they played a very competitive game against Arkansas. Um, so I'm taking them. I think they're going to knock off Wisconsin. Good choice. Jared, who do you think? I think it's Auburn. I think a shock loss in their conference championship is never a good thing. I know the last two champions have not won their conference championship. But for me, the first time I made a bracket, it was UConn when they won and they like started hit, hitting their stride in the conference championship title that year. The first time with uh, Calhoun. Not the, not the new guy, like Ollie, I think his name was something. Anyway... Uh, they were they were like five and three in their last eight games. They lost to two ranked teams. I don't buy the narrative basically that like they're gonna be hungry because of this early loss. I think they're just kind of after their really good st- string of consistency that got them a number one ranking at one point. I think they're going to be the first or the highest seed that will lose in the first round to to Jacksonville State. Okay. I mean, Jacksonville State beat Florida State this year in uh, football. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) It's their year. Team of destiny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Bart, we're coming to you for the next one. Blank, number one seeds will make the men's final four. So I thought I would look uh, at historical success of each each (laughs) number of seeds. (laughs) There have only ever been, only once ever have all four made it. Three of the four have made it 11% of the time. The most common is... One of them at 41%, but two is not far behind. I think two is a good number to pick here. And if you put a gun to my head and ask me to say which one specifically, you alluded to them earlier, Lucas. Arizona, I really like, and I I think they're quite likely to make it. And Gonzaga, for all of the things that you mentioned against them, I still think are a great pick to at least make the final four. I'm lower on Baylor and Kansas. Baylor is battling through some key injuries. I could see them getting knocked out by, like, Kentucky or Purdue even. Like, I don't know. Um, one of those, like, Kentucky, like, high-key, exciting team. Anyways, I digress. Yeah. Kansas, I think, is really overrated as a one seed personally. They're, I think they're the worst of the four yeah. um, by far. And I could also Damn. see them easily not making the final four. But anyway, what, what, do I re- what does anybody really know about March yeah. Madness? I mean, that mirrors my bracket exactly, Barton. So I support yes. you in that answer. <laughs> um, all right, Wyatt, what do you think? How many number one seeds will make the final four? How many? Mm-hmm. Uh, none. I'm just going to say none. Because I think March Madness is a crapshoot. And I think that it, there's literally no way to tell, you know, <laughs> when, and, you know, what what's going to happen. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it's just it's a tough it's a tough bracket. It's not like a true tournament based bracket where the best team always makes it on the other end. So I'm just gonna go with a big fat zero and and have it go that way. All right. Oh man, we'll see how it shoot, plays out. If you're right, Wyatt, we can come back to this as a prophecy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All 
right, our last film of in our last film of blank from March Madness. Uh, we're gonna start with Jared. Blank is the team seated fifth or lower that has the best shot to make the men's final four this year. I love this one. I, I think it's the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, actually. So wow. they're in the same bracket as Auburn. So like it, I wanted it to kind of track with what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Bart, they're also in the same bracket as Kansas, who you just said is the weakest number one seed. I didn't initially think that because they won their conference championship, did they not? Mm-hmm. I think they won the they Big, Big 12 yeah. championship. Yeah. So, and the Big 12 is pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I did read that a lot of people think it's not really their most talented Kansas team in a while, but still, let's go with Bart's hypothesis that they're not going to make the Final Four because they run into, whether it's South Dakota State. Um, but anyway, some some cool things about them. They're, they uh, they lead the nation in three-point field goal percentage. They're like second in points per game. They score a lot. Um, I think they play like an exciting brand of basketball. I obviously have not seen any of their games, but... What I've heard is they play an exciting brand of, of basketball, <laughs> and I'm really, ex- I'm really am excited though to see what they do. I like their logo a lot as well, and their running back. I remember seeing his logo. He ran the fastest forty, as well. His name was um, Pierre Morgan, I want to say. So yeah, I don't know. I think they have a lot of good vibes right now. So yeah, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, no, yeah. top class logo for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm stunned you didn't watch a single one of their games this year. I'm uh, embarrassed. <laughs> sure. yeah. broadcast all over. I have the season pass for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Aiden, who are you going with? Um, this is more boring than Jared's pick, but I'm sticking in the Midwest region. I'm going with Iowa, um, who is a five seed. Um, and they're hot. They've won nine of their last ten. They won the Big Ten tournament, um, capping a, a pretty great run with a emphatic win against uh, Purdue. Um, they've got size. They've got good shooters. But as we've kind of alluded to before, I think most importantly, I think the Midwest region is pretty up for grabs. Kansas, I like Kansas. I think they're good, but they're definitely not one of the scariest number one seeds. Auburn is coming off a loss, a first round exit in the SEC tournament to AM. Wisconsin, I mentioned earlier, they've been looking weak of late. Providence, the number four seed, got absolutely smacked in their last um, game. In the, are they the AAC or Big East or whatnot? Um, they lost to Creighton by like 25 points. Um, so I don't know. I think things above them look pretty weak. Um, I think that, uh, Iowa's got a pretty good shot of, of coming out in the final four. Solid. Well, we'll wrap up our March Madness talk there. I'm sure we'll at least throw in, um, what's happening to the news we missed over the next couple weeks. Uh, but we're moving from college basketball then to a former college basketball great who sort of floundered a little bit now that he has been in the NBA. (laughs) We're talking about Zion Williamson. So, Zion Williamson, he was rehabbing his foot injury since he joined the team, but he's received a lot of criticism in the meantime, especially from former teammate J.J. Redick about how he's handled the situation. All the while, Pelicans, they're not too bad as of late. Um, so, Aiden, we'll head to you. Um, is the Zion Pelicans situation salvageable, or is, he for, or is he destined to sort of force his way out of the situation? I'm sad to say, I feel like it's destined for him to force his way out to leave. Um, it seems like he's been checked out for a while. Like the rumors about Zion not wanting to be there started like a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's clear from more recent stuff that it's more than just rumors. There's obviously the JJ Redick stuff, um, which, you know, seemed to be a problem back when JJ was on the team. Um, and even like CJ, when he was traded to the Pelicans like a month ago, said that Zion hadn't reached out to him. It was like a week in. Um, and like CJ is obviously an all-star caliber player. He's the president of the players association. He's like very prominent, had heard nothing from him. It's just 
kind of weird. Zion's back with the team now, um, and like it seems like he's in shape and whatnot. But it, it feels like a bit of a PR thing, given how quickly after you know the JJ Redick stuff, he's he's back with like practicing with the team. Um, so honestly, I think if the Pelicans are good, like Zion will look really bad trying to force his way out. Um, and they initially looked pretty good with CJ, but they they lost I think four in a row um, after a bit of a streak. So. I'm not convinced that Zion will be on the floor enough with CJ and co to like actually go on a run together, um, you know, this year or next year. And I think in that time frame, um, we'll see Zion eventually try to push his way out. Um, I, I would lo- I think it would be really fun for the Pelicans to be good. Um, but again, it seems like another case where the Pelicans are just fated to um, lose a star. Yeah. yeah. I think like one of the things that, will sort of drive him out, especially just like looking back at the history of the New Orleans organization and the superstars that have played there and sort of how they've ended up. And like, you've had guys who have been like, I know, we we all talk about AD a lot and how he's overrated, but he was, when he was in New Orleans, he was really great. Couldn't really become a superstar there and forced his way out to win a championship. Chris Paul, he was great while there and sort of forced his way out to them. I think those are like probably the two greatest players in like the New Orleans franchise history when they were the Hornets and then later the Pelicans. And they didn't really do anything um, and then moved out and had a lot more success. So I think Zion's probably looking at that and going to follow that model sort of yeah. into the future. Um, and I, But I don't think like his career necessarily is like completely unsalvageable. Um, I think that like a pretty comparable example is what happened with Joel Embiid too where there were like he was injured constantly for the first couple of years. There were the same criticisms about him being out of shape and uncommitted to his teammates and everything. And he turned it around. And, like, I'm not sure that that'll happen exactly with Zion. But I think, like, that's sort of a model Zion can follow for how to sort of dig his career out of the situation he's in now. Yeah, I think part of uh, the beef with J.J. Redick is, like, a new generation versus old generation sort of thing as well. Like... I think from what I've seen from Zion in his interviews, he's, like, very, like, starry-eyed and, like, very, like, I think, like, naive. Like, he looks like a kid when he when he's in these interviews, <laughs> especially in his rookie year. And I, I don't – so I don't, like, really read that much into that kind of beef and think it's more Zion learning, like, NBA etiquette and, like, how to be a pro at this point and without having those reps because he's been injured. I think that's maybe more of the – um more of the like conflict and tension here. I think we just have not seen Zion on the floor enough to like write off this experiment. When he was on the floor, yeah. I think he's electric. He, he shot like 65% or something like that last yeah. year. It's crazy. I want to see him on the floor again with this crew. I, I'm like pretty excited for it. Yeah. yeah the Zion, CJ, Brandon Ingram trio would be defensively sus, but offensively unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I wanted to say one thing. The most compelling argument that I've seen for why he will stay is because he would be the first number one pick ever to decline their rookie extension. The rookie extension gives you 25% of the cap. So he would, like, through 27, wow. he'd be making, like, $32 million a year. So, like, it, wow. it's always a money thing, I feel like, mm-hmm. when it really comes mm-hmm. down to it. And yeah. so, you, I don't know, like, otherwise he would be freed up in, I think, wait, would it be in two yeah, off-seasons? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, maybe he really dislikes New Orleans enough, but like to be the first person ever to decline that money, I'd be kind of surprised. Does he hate it mm-hmm. that That's much? And, and also, like I was someone... saying, it's exciting. The team is exciting. Yeah. Sorry, Jerry. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. That's, that, that, that was it. 
I was gonna say, especially someone that's been injured a lot, you're not gonna you're gonna you're probably not gonna take that risk of not signing the extension. <clears throat> like you want the guaranteed yeah. money. Well, it's not making pennies. He also signed a sixty like million dollar deal with Jordan. Yeah, right like right as he was getting drafted. So I can Yeah, but I can when we, see we see it again he's... and again though when it comes to players like those <clears throat> those single millions still matter. Yeah, I know. Money <laughs> walks and and everything else <clears throat> money talks and everything else walks, but I think at the end of the day Zion just has the wrong people in his ear. Whether they're telling him that he shouldn't be there or that they can't trust the front office. And I know that JJ Redick has been a huge advocate for like the David Griffin like he's the worst GM in the league and you shouldn't ever play underneath him type deal. But it's super silly to think that the Pelicans cannot and will not ever be a contender with the pieces they added in the number one overall pick. If he wants a cakewalk, then he shouldn't have been the number one overall pick. And, you know, to compare him to another guy in the draft, John Morant bought in and now they're balling. And I don't think that there's any reason to believe that Zion couldn't do the same thing. Yeah. I hope totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm just gonna say yeah. Gonna... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fun. Um, yeah. No, I think like job provides a nice model too. For it's like you don't need to go to like New York because I feel like that's always a problem with Zion too. Where it's like oh, he's gonna go to the next one day or the Nets. Like he wants like that huge market um, or whatever. But like again, job provides a good model for like you don't have to be in like the biggest market team to like be successful and be a superstar and be seen as like the future of the NBA. So I think like that sort of like sort of, you know, might make him think a little bit about, like, singing in addition to all the money stuff Mark mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really do want to see them all on the floor together. I Like, that is... Absolutely. Well, I'm rooting for that to happen. <laughs> yeah. We will see. <laughs> we shall see. All right. Well, while we wait to see, we're going to stick with some NBA talk. Um... And we're going to go to the young star stock market. So speaking of Zion Williamson there's, and Ja, who we just mentioned, there's been a lot of talk that, you know, the new era of the NBA is upon us. And to sort of assess the value of all those stars, we're going to enter in to the young star stock market. So we're going to go through um, a bunch of different sort of buying options and give investment tips uh, for the talent in the NBA that's under the age of, that's 25 years or under, is how we specify young talent. That's the most... Um, of the websites we saw to find it, and it means that they're all our age or younger, which makes us feel good as well, too. <laughs> We're still considered young talent. So we'll start with who is the highest value by, or whose value do you think will be the highest by the end of the, their career if you're investing in them now? We'll start with Aiden on this one. Yeah, I think to me it's a pretty clear-cut answer given this year it's Ja. Um, he's shown the ability to be that guy. Um, you know, the he's the first of this wave of young guys, I think, to take a team to being a legitimate title contender. Luca hasn't done that yet. Um, Trey Young wasn't super far from getting the Hawks to the finals last year, but we've seen them really regress this year, and it doesn't really seem like he can will them alone um, to victory. Not that Jaws on his own, um, but he's been so fun to watch this year. He's also got, like, the um, kind of electrifying nature that can make him more than just, you know, um, a star, I feel like. Um, we saw his ridiculous 52-point game against the Spurs. Um, and given the leap that he's taken this year, it's hard to tell like what the ceiling is really at the moment. Um, so I think the stock is still going up at the moment. 
What? Who do you think is your highest value buy of the young stars? Yeah, I would have picked John Morant if I didn't buy his stock two years ago. Uh, when, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. When the draft yeah. was happening. He's or, already all in. And I said yeah. that John Morant was always better than Zion Williamson. Uh, and, I, uh, and I agree. You're right. I think Jaw is one of those guys who are just so electric that you, you'd love to watch him play and they, they uplift the rest of their team. What about a very similar guy in Anthony Edwards? Bart, raise your eyebrows there. Uh, every time I actually hear his name on, on TV, he gets mentioned with Dwayne Wade and most recently Michael Jordan. Saw that. <laughs> Patrick Beverly said that, right? Uh, I don't remember who said it. I just remember hearing uh, what it was. Maybe somebody quoted Patrick Beverly when he was saying it. But he's a dog, and I think on the court it's obvious that he brings a, a different level of play to the Minnesota team. But think about how bad Minnesota has been over the years and how – much better they have been since Anthony Edwards has emerged. And this is like the Jimmy Butler type Minnesota team where they just play with a lot of tough and a lot of grit. And because he's homegrown, uh, it's not exactly as hostile as it was before. So I think that he's Jimmy Butler with less bridges burned. And you know he's a guy that I like to watch play. And I think that they can elevate a team as the, as the leader. He's also kind of like Aiden was saying about Ja, where we don't know his ceiling yet because he's yeah. still just yeah. in his second season and he's yeah. like clearly still improving, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. No bias. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think both great picks. All right, we're going to move from some players we're optimistic about then to some players we are less optimistic about. And we're going to go with players where it is time to sell, i.e. somebody whose value is at its peak. Maybe it won't collapse over time, but it might just slowly go down over time and their value is never going to be higher than it is now. I'm not getting us started. I'm going to go with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, oh. I think... Um, I hate to do this to a fellow hyphenated last name, but <laughs> his value was at his peak. Um, this is not to say I think he'll have a bad career or anything like that, but I think his value is really high right now because he's the one good player on a really bad Thunder team. His stats are baseline impressive this year. Um, 22 points per game, about 5 rebounds, about 5 assists. But when you dig a little deeper, he's only shooting 41% from the field. And I think that that's sort of indicative that he's maybe not as good as people make him seem. Um, I still hear his name mentioned in trade talks a lot. I mean, I think he'll be good and a high-value guy. But five years from now, I think he's going to be a solid player, maybe a high-level bench guy. But I don't think his value is going to be ever higher than it is now. Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, I almost put Shea, um, so I agree with that take. Um, I have De'Aaron Fox. I think his value is pretty solid at the moment. Um, They came straight away, Tyrese Halliburton, right, and Buddy Heald for Sabonis last month, the intention being to have um, Fox be the centerpiece guard of the future. And he's been putting up numbers since then, um, to his credit. He's averaging like 21.8 before the All-Star break. He's been averaging 29 um, after it. So the trade had like the desired effect um, in that regard. But in terms of winning, it still hasn't really worked out. The Kings are 4-9 and since the trade. They've lost their last four. It's kind of the same old Kings. Um, and Darren's like explosive. He's fun to watch, um, but he still hasn't addressed like the holes in his game, namely shooting. Um, so I don't really ever see him taking that leap to like the next, like the upper echelon of point guards in the NBA. He tracks me kind of like a, a like a D'Angelo Russell, who kind of like peaks at twenty four ish or so, and isn't bad after that. Like D'Angelo's still fairly productive on the Wolves, right? Um, but isn't capable of being like the best or even second best, I think, player on a contending team. Yeah, I think that's a good choice as well. I had him down in my like my short list if it didn't include the spot. So. A good take. All right, we're gonna bounce back to the positive players. Um, we're gonna 
talk about players whose value is going to the moon or a player whose value is pretty low now but we think will just continue to go straight up over the course of their career. And Bart, you're starting us off. Okay, I'm going to go with Anthony Simons. And I don't know... I don't know if this is a fair answer because some people might say he's already kind of getting love, but like I didn't really know who he was. Uh, I think he gets overshadowed by Dame and he got overshadowed by CJ before he got traded. But shooters shoot and Anthony Simons is already one of the best shooters in the league. This is going to be what carries him. Let me, let me explain this for you. He's already shooting 40% from three. He's already had three games in his career with nine plus threes, which is the seventh most all time <laughs> and wow. he's, he's only 22 he uh and i didn't i couldn't find up-to-date numbers on this but as of like a week ago he was leading the league in three-pointers made in this calendar year 2022 so he's just an extremely good three-point shooter and now that cj's gone it's basically like he's getting the green light last year he only scored eight points per game this year he's already scoring 17 in the calendar year of 21 he couldn't put up more than 13 in a month this month or this year he's put up more than 23 in each month so he's basically just exploding and so like if this tracks i think he's gonna be a player who was like yeah he was not really respected coming into the season but in the future he's gonna be like a splash bros kind of shooter which is really exciting his defense is terrible but what nba guard <laughs> can you not yeah. say that about so yeah that's that's my answer what about you lucas um, I'm going to go with somebody else who I think is overshadowed by a better teammate. And somebody else who maybe has like some love so far, but I don't think enough. And I'm going to go with Desmond Bain. Um, so I think despite Memphis's success this year, people are still kind of undervaluing him. And I think a lot of that, again, is due to the fact that Ja has just had like his absolute breakout year and is, you know, dominated the NBA this year. But Bain is an excellent outside shooter. He's shooting almost 42% from three in his first two seasons. Um, and that is something that definitely will help you in the modern NBA and is a perfect compliment to Jaw's talent. He's also a really solid defensive player. He's top 15 in the NBA in steals and averaging about 1.1 a game. Again, he's never going to be the you know, the the star of the team with Jaw there, but I can see his value really going up and skyrocketing, and he could sort of be the pippin to Jaw's Jordan. Um, and I think if you're looking at value uh, that could go to the moon, I think Bain is a really good choice for it. I also had Bain written as another option. That's funny. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go back to some negative ones for the next one, and we're going to go with someone whose bubble is about to burst, i.e. somebody who is way overvalued. This is much more dramatic than our time to sell one. It's somebody who we think, you know, shouldn't be getting all the love they do, and pretty soon their bubble's just going to burst. So, Jared, who are you choosing? Uh, I'm more curious to see what Bart has to say. With it. I, This one's pretty hard just because I don't, I don't think we're going to see – we're not going to see, I don't think, a player that's going to have this big of a drop, drop. but I say Trey Young. He was the first guy that came to my mind for me. I know he's I, – I fear that he's in the John Wall or, like, maybe a better comparison, Carl Anthony Towns level, where they're a good player, but their ceiling's going to be capped by the team that they're on, essentially. It's becoming increasingly – or it's looking more and more like last year's postseason run was a fluke. And, like, because, like, look at – we already mentioned it, how John Morant has been able to, uh, in, what, two years, turn around the Grizzlies team. And I don't know if Trey Young – not playing defense essentially and being kind of inefficient, uh, at least or very average, let's say, uh, at least on the two point mm-hmm. field goal percentage. I'm not sure if that, uh, that, um, is going to trend nicely in the future. So I think he's kind of the analogy is he's, he's like the, we work right now. Like they had, they had an IPO, they were a darling and then the IPO kind of failed. And I think maybe they're kind of going in that direction. Like they're not gone, but I, and Trey Young's not going to go away. But I think that's that's the tracking that I'm seeing right now. 
That's what my that's projection said. Trey Young is the WeWork. <laughs> I have another. I have more. I have another now for my second one too. All right, all right, all right. All right, Bart. Who are you picking? Whose bubble's about to burst? I'm gonna. I'm gonna underwhelm Jared here because both of the people I had written have been mentioned now. I agree. This was a really hard one. I really struggled with this one. I had Trey Young written as one, and I had Shea oh. written as my other. Uh, and so, like Shea, I wrote down because like I've seen people on social media saying he's better than Jaw. Come on. <laughs> so that's why I think you could argue that he's like oh, excessively overvalued, and and the reason I think people are going to realize he's not good or as good is because like two years ago when they had CP3, right? They were the fifth seed. They made the playoffs comfortably, but mm-hmm. in the past two seasons without him, they've been terrible. And so he's like an empty stat stuffer. Like he kind of gives me Russell Westbrook vibes. That was my reasoning for him. For Trey, basically everything you said, Jared. Right? He's inefficient, and and as Aiden mentioned earlier, he's not carrying the Hawks this <clears> year. Like. Like we kind of thought he might be able to in, in years past, but I agree. It's like, it's a hard question. I don't know if there's a great answer for a player who's just about to just fall off the face of the earth. Yeah, <laughs> you don't see that very often. It's tough. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move to the complete opposite then for our last um, investment tips in the uh, young star stock market. We're gonna talk about somebody who we think is a safe and stay investment. It's like you're investing in a bond. You know, the value is never going to grow that much over the course of their career, but they're never going to sort of, you know, really decrease in value either. So, Jared, we'll start with you. Who's the safe and steady investment? This is uh, this is Devin Booker. He is 25 years old, so he does he fits the criteria. Mm-hmm. He's a blue chip stock mm-hmm. at this point. He's he's no longer the unicorn startup that finally IPO'd uh, in the bubble. Like that was that was in the bubble, the the NBA bubble, not the stock market bubble uh, of 2020. Um, that's where he IPO'd, um, and now he's just a blue chip stock at this point. He's not in the the Fang group of like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, but he's he'll get you twenty five points a game. He's been consistently doing that basically since his third season. He's steadily improved on his rebounds, assists have like pretty much leveled out. Um, he's he's played like pretty well in the absence of Chris Paul. Like he put up a thirty point double double yesterday. It was the Lakers, but that being said, at the same time. They're only like six and four since the All Star break, and when he was gone in health and safety protocols, they were three and one. So, I don't know. I think he's more just like a blue chip stock at this point. And he's he we kind of know what he is at this point. I think he's a great. Why we're finishing off with you? Who's your safe and steady investment? Clearly, I picked a, an incredibly polarizing player because we mentioned his name like four or five times. I picked Shea Gillis Alexander, and I think mm-hmm. that. I'm, I'm in the oh, I'm in the in between of he is so super valuable and he's overrated. I think he's kind of right where he's going to be for the rest of his career. And I could be wrong. I'm happy to be wrong as a Thunder fan. Uh, he has individually gotten better since he's been traded. He, he was with you know on teams with more talented guards and other players before you know with the Clippers and with CP3. So he's kind of overshadowed. And I think that that's why we're kind of giving him so much love is because this is the first time where he's like the best player on a bad team versus being the second best player, the third best player. But, you know, Josh Giddy is, is, a, is a very talented player. Trey Mann is one of the best scorers of his class. And I think, you know, they both play the guard position. So depending on how the front office feels, it's a chance that they get bigger roles and Shea Gillis-Alexander's role just stays about the same. And if he just scores 22 points and he's just like a, a scoring, you know, two guard, I think that that's fine for him for the rest of his career. And again, if he bec- if he grows even more, because he is still pretty young, I mean, it's like good for him. But you know, I I, I would be okay 
capping him right here and and letting it ride out. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up our NBA discussion. And we're going to finish off the show uh, with some football talk. So Carson Wentz, uh, a favorite topic of conversation on this show, uh, was traded to the Washington Commanders along with the second-round pick this week for a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a third-round pick that can turn into a second-rounder if Wentz plays 70% of the snaps. Um, so Wyatt, this move raises some questions. Well, let's start with this one. Does Wentz, does the Wentz trade make Washington any better? And is Wentz worth what they gave up? There are three things that are guaranteed in this world. There's death, <laughs> taxes, and Carson Wentz's trade value, apparently. <laughs> but the fact that, like, I'm shocked that Washington had to give up two second-round picks to land the guy that it was probably going to get cut by the Colts in, like, a week or so. And Ryan Clark says it all the time, is that when you're picked so high, you have to prove to everybody that you're not the guy rather than being a guy, you know, that's picked later in the round. They have to prove to everybody that he is the guy. Because nobody gets more credit for an MVP they didn't win than Carson Wentz, who who had a very spectacular run in 2016, but was eventually just like he didn't like his backup quarterback won a Super Bowl for him. And, you know, he he eventually goes and he reunites with this offensive guru guy that has shaped his career and he fails again. And that same offensive guru cuts or lets him go. And we're all supposed to believe that this makes Washington a lot better because this is an all-time desperation move for the commanders. And this is the type of move that gets people fired. Don't be shocked in a year that Ron Rivera and I don't even know who the GM, what the GM's name is. Uh, don't be shocked if they're both out of a job by this time next year because they tied their name to Carson Wentz. Like, they, they couldn't have really – they had – they couldn't get a first round pick that might be infinitely better than Carson Wentz. And the only good thing is that they don't have to spend a first round pick now on a quarterback. But I'm not going to sit here and say that Wentz is anything more than what we saw on two different teams over the span of like four years. He has capped out as a player and I'm not going to kid myself and pretend that Wentz still has untapped potential. I say with air quotes. I think that's pretty harsh. I don't know about that. Like, Aiden was saying this, I think, last time we talked about Wentz. The partnership was going pretty well with the Colts until those last two games. And then all of a sudden, Jim, Jim Irsay's like, we're in a championship window right now. Yeah. Carson Wentz isn't cutting it. This 100% makes Washington a better team, in my opinion. There's no way yeah. you can tell me that running it back with Taylor Heineke or Ryan Fitzpatrick would have been better than Carson Wentz. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's worth the two second rounders. I agree that that does feel like high, like a high cost, given that it seems like the Colts might have cut him. But I definitely think he's better than Taylor Heineke. Um, the question, I guess, is like personality-wise, is he? It seems like that's why the Colts let him go. That seems to be word on the street. There was fit stuff, which I, I don't really get that either, because I mean, like Reich must have known his personality, right, to some degree. Right. Um, but. I do think, like, purely on the field, he's better than Taylor Heineke. That's not saying that much, but <laughs> I think he's an upgrade. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's that much. Of a... So I agree why this is definitely a desperate. I think they saw the Russell Wilson signing, or trade, excuse me, 
and they're mm-hmm. like, we can't afford to wait for uh, like another quarterback to come onto the market. We're just going to get Wentz. But like, I, I think I, I would be worried because Wentz needs a supporting cast, right? And I think that's a downgrade. Like Michael Pittman had a better season than Terry McLaurin. I would say McLaurin's a better receiver, but still. But Antonio Gibson's a downgrade from Jonathan Taylor. And the whole commander's defense is a downgrade from the Colts defense. So you're asking Carson Wentz to come in and basically carry a team, in a sense? Like, I, I don't love this trade because it's like, yeah, he's better than Heineke, yeah. but is he going to be able to actually succeed there? I'm not convinced about that. They have a good old yeah, line in their defense. Um, a good old line? I agree that, yeah, they have a good old line, but I think better than the Colts. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely need to add weapons, especially, like, receiver-wise. Because um, McLaurin, I think, was the only one with, like, above 400 yards of receiving last year, which is, yeah, yeah that's correct. <laughs> the thing with Wentz is that, like, you just know, like, exactly what you're going to get, and I don't know if, like, knowing what you get with Carson Wentz would be, like, that significantly better than what you could have drafted with, like, a Kenny Pickett or, or like, just one of the other top quarterbacks at this point. Like, Wentz, I don't think, can ever be the quarterback on a championship-winning team. Like, I, I'm a firm believer that the Eagles would not have won that Super Bowl had he not gotten injured at this point. <laughs> I mean, just seeing how he's, like, crumbled in pressure time through, like, the rest of the course of his career. Like, he's going to be a guy who puts up good, solid numbers in the regular season and is, like, fine. And, like, on the surface, looks like a good quarterback. But will, will, like, crumble in the biggest moments. We'll sort of lose the locker room. And just, like, sort of, you know, things will sort of go south everywhere he's been. Or everywhere. And then everywhere he'll go. So, like, well, is he better than Heineke? Like, I agree, yes. But, like... Was it worth giving up a second, like two seconds and a third for a guy who, I don't know. I don't think his like ceiling is that high versus like maybe you take a chance on like a picket or someone like that and just hope for the best. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of the move either. I think I was wide on Barkley and just like reeks of desperation at this point. I don't know, but I don't know if it's worth giving up a first round pick on Kenny Pickett, like, or yeah. a QB that you're not sold on. And also, it was it was two third round picks, right? With one that conditionally becomes a second. Is that mm-hmm. the yeah. correct trade? And then they swap seconds. Um, so, like, I don't know. I think that, like, giving up two thirds, even a third and a second, if it does conditionally become that, is potentially better than, like, going all in on a first round QB when it doesn't seem like this is really the year for that, especially where yeah, the, the commanders will be picking. I mean, I would even just be comfortable, like, waiting back for, like, a Matt Corral or something like that in the second round. I just think that, like, you just, like, know so much what you're going to get with Wentz. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to give up a second-round pick or something, like, I'd rather do it on, like, somebody who, like, could grow and be better versus someone who's just sort mm-hmm. of, like, you know what you're going to get, and it's probably not going to be, like, that great, even if it's not that bad. Yeah. It's like the commanders are, though, like, going for a win now here, which is kind of yeah. funny yeah. that it's Wentz, but they seem to be if they're not going to be drafting. Um, But the question is not, is Carson Wentz better than Taylor Heineke? Is he better than anybody else in the NFC? At least somebody who's a championship contender. Aaron Rodgers. better than Daniel Jones. Sure, Jared, but the the Giants aren't competing for a championship, so I'm not really going to bite on that. Is he better than Dak Prescott or Matt Stafford or Aaron Rodgers? Or is he good enough to, to beat out Tom Brady you know, or Kirk Cousins. Is he better than any of those guys? Is he putting Washington in any position for Is the Kenny price? Is Pickett better than any of those guys, Wyatt? Yeah, but okay. Is Matt but, Corral better than any of those guys? But at the very least, you can bet on potential, right? And But, but Carson <laughs> Wentz. isn't the year to do it, though. But Carson Wentz saying. doesn't have any more potential. potential. Carson Wentz's potential is yeah. run dry. 
in if you look at ESPN's rankings of quarterback, Carson Wentz is not better than Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke is, is two slots higher than him. So ultimately, that's wrong. This that's makes wrong. the Washington Commanders worse. <laughs> oh my goodness! But no, is he better than anybody else in the in the AFC, NFC? Is he better than Jalen Hurts? The, the point is that he wasn't their first choice. Like yeah. they obviously would rather have gotten like a game changer like Russ, but yeah. it's clear that that wasn't an option. And of the options available, I mean, well, so then that begs the question: Is it would they not have been better off just not trading away anybody and like being meh for another year and not taking a quarterback either in the draft? You know, like I don't know how valuable a max season is with Wentz at the helm. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing it's, is, the NFC East still is kind of like, I mean, if Dak or someone goes down, it's it's definitely open. The Commanders aren't bad. That's the thing. They're in that weird middle ground where they're definitely not going to be contending for a Super Bowl, but they're they're pretty established in that they, it doesn't seem like they're willing to enter a rebuild. I mean, maybe they should, but... I, but sort of, oh, I would have rather seen them go for Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston. Oh my than, goodness! Than a Kirk Cousins, because I think that the, then Kirk Cousins. No, no, excuse me. Then Carson Wentz. I literally read <laughs> Kirk Cousins' name as I was saying that. Do not equate those two. <laughs> I'd rather they get Kirk Cousins. They should have had kept. Kirk yes, Cousins. I would take Kirk Cousins. Yes, I would. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, it's just Carson Wentz has to prove to everybody that he's that he's not that guy. Time and time again, he has to keep proving it, and we keep believing that he's a liar. Like he's wrong. Like he's not who he shows us he is, but he is. He's he's not a good quarterback. Well, so looking at it from the other side, we talked about it from the commander's perspective. Um, what about from the Colts' perspective? What do we think of how they handled the situation with Wentz? I think it's miraculous that they pulled this trade off. Yeah. They basically recouped what they traded away for him the first time. Which is, Did they? Like a, I, mean, I mean, so, okay, they traded away a first and a third. This could end up being a second and a second. So it's like, like the net sure, of yeah. this might end up being a second. Four and equals second. four. <laughs> no, I mean, okay. I guess. It's, <laughs> no, it's I'm just kidding. Ish, it's close. But I mean, like, we were saying this originally, like, Wentz is surely not this valuable in the first place. It's like, I think it's surprising that they were able to pull this trade off. It still looks know, really think, impulsive to me, though. Yeah. It still looks pretty impulsive. From the or, Colts perspective. I, who do they replace yeah, him with? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still just have no idea how, I again, maybe locker room stuff overpowered this. I don't understand how the Colts were expecting something more out of Wentz, given his history. They yeah. obviously overpaid in the first place, but if this was under, like, what were they expecting if this was underperforming? I was, I don't think any of us were expecting that much from Wentz. A game manager. They were expecting a I, game manager. I think they were expecting, like, because he was reunited with Frank Reich, that yeah. like, he would be, like, recreate his... Best season of 2017 season, essentially. I don't think that was the bar. I don't think the bar was for him to win an MVP. I think the bar was for him to make basic throws and win a game against the, the Jacksonville Jaguars to get them into the playoffs. <laughs> All right, well, jo- well, Josh <laughs> Allen also couldn't do it this year, so put him in that camp. <laughs> yeah, Josh but, Allen put up six points against the Jaguars. What? Yeah, but Josh Allen went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. And the Jaguars are picking first overall. So, I mean, I think that – I think it's clear that Josh Allen is better. 
Yeah. Wentz had 27-7 this year, right? But, like, he made some yes. seriously boneheaded decisions at times, which literally just cost yeah. the games, right? Numbers so it's like, oh. yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing, like, but, like I was saying with Wentz, it's like his numbers will always look baseline pretty decent, but, like, he will oh, he will never come up in the clutch. And, like, if he's ever forced into situations, it just, like you said, he makes, like, bonehead decisions that cost him the game, I feel like. Like, he's somebody who I think is, like, always worse than the stats indicate. Alright, one last uh, Wentz related question before we wrap up. Do we think Washington is a better place for him to succeed than either Indianapolis or Philadelphia, or do we think it is much worse? Yeah, like Bart said, it's definitely not better than Indianapolis without the Frank Reich coaching pairing, without the weapons yeah. as well. It's it's probably almost certainly not a better position. And having to play Philly twice a year. <laughs> But also the Giants, Wyatt. Don't forget about that. There's two wins on their calendar. No, I was thinking, though. They... Giant, Giants go 2-0 this year. <laughs> book it? Are you going to book that? Yeah, book it. Okay. I'll book 2-0 it. 2-0 against the Commanders? Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. They always that. beat the Commanders. No. <laughs> Except for that one time I picked. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, the other time, too, when he was with the Colts, they were in a division with the Texans and, and Jags. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's not the same bottom feeders he's going to have in the NFC. So Honestly, there's the Jags only Dallas one true. bottom feeder right now in the NFC East. You know, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's going to do it, I think, for this episode of the Thought Sports Podcast. If you liked what you heard, Please give us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, Follow us on both programs so that you're notified when we have new episodes. Stay tuned on some other multimedia options um, for some exciting news as well there. And uh, tune in next week.